We speak too much and feel too little. Don't give yourself to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life would be violent and all will be lost. Okay, welcome to another episode of Denusian, where we nurture untamed and undomesticated conversations surrounding the ideological illusions of mother culture in a humble and very hopeful attempt to co-create a more beautiful and more resilient world. I have with me on this episode uh, someone who my life has operated around for the last half decade at least. I know many... (laughs) Uh, a, a person that knows him and and works uh, with him, but I uh, I am thrilled to today to finally be uh, meeting face to face with my friend Trey Cates, the managing director of In Rhythm. Trey, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, absolutely, my pleasure, and and uh, looking forward to the conversation, the dialogue. Absolutely, today. I remember. Uh, I think it was back in early 2019. Um, our organization, the Rabini Institute, was just becoming a hub or was going through the accreditation candidacy of becoming a hub with the Savory Institute. And I was walking down the street in Bluffton, Georgia at, at White Oak Pastures and uh, Daniela Abara Howell w- was talking to me and, 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 and doing what she does best, cultivate souls. I mean, she's absolutely brilliant. And she said, there's, there's one person, maybe she might've said there's a, there's a number of people, but she specified your name. She said, there's one person or a multitude of people that you need to meet in this, uh, true thinkers and, and movers and people who think very similarly to you. And, uh, she said, Trey, and it's taken, uh, <laughs> it's taken three solid years to make it happen. Um, but it's, it's, it's an, <laughs> well, of course I've got an incredible amount of respect for everything. Savory Institute. I've had a incredible role in its creation and its expansion. You and, were the COO, right? Consider, Until about 2018, yes, 2019. Correct. Yeah, 20, 2017 or so um, played a really intimate role. And Danielle and I kind of helped birth what was the Savory Institute in its form mm-hmm. um, as we had those conversations back in 2010. Wow. So we're long, since, since the ago, beginning, so. right? The Savory Institute was founded in 2009. Yes. Nine, correct. Yeah. So. I was a part of the very early days and its emergence. Um, but I mean, it literally changed my life. I mean, it, there was a pathway that I was on that was encompassing of what transformation needed to be both individually and organizationally, but seeing it through the lens of an ecosystem or health was really new mm-hmm. for me. And and I just became a um, very disciplined, committed student and spent a lot of time um, really trying to better understand what it means to to understand true living systems. Is that what you mean when you say a lens of the ecosystem? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think I would have naturally referenced the relatedness or our interconnectedness 
But I don't think coming from the background I did that I would have ever seen it through the lens of a, an ecosystem, you know, where all of that was seen in service to one another as a part of a larger design. It just wasn't language I used a deep um, background in spirituality and then in real transformational change within teams and organizations. And, and, and I saw all those as a means to really bring real um, growth and development to the individual. And uh, when I started to see it through that lens of bringing health to a land base or underlying ecosystem processes, I mean, I so quickly recognized its relevance to social constructs and systems. But I said, I need to better understand what this really means. And 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 I dove deeply into understanding that. And and in rhythm really it emerged from that deep commitment, relationship, and wow. investment. Yeah, let's let let's talk about in rhythm. I was listening to um a couple of weeks ago or last week, whenever it was, uh prepping for our conversation that was pushed back due to illness. Um I was listening to your 2017 CrossFit Exchange uh, presentation, which, by the way, Mm. unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Conferences Mm. like podcasts have a tendency, in my opinion, to 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 uh, dram on a little bit Um, and and not all. Obviously, there's much content there that's valuable and life changing. I am not pulling, uh, you know, or tooting your whistle or pulling whatever the the cliche is, but it's it was unbelievable. It, it was absolutely unbelievable. If mm-hmm. you're listening to this and this episode means anything to you, go on YouTube, Trey Cates, 2017 Grassfed Exchange. His, it was about 45-minute, 50-minute uh, presentation. was uh, unbelievable. But I, I want to focus on something you said there because it, I, I think it's going to get us talking about your work at In Rhythm, which I'm really excited to dive into. You, you were talking about how easy it is, at least now, I, I think our ecological consciousness has been reawakened uh, uh, decently over the last couple of years and, and, you know, over the last century and you can see all of the change and patterns and things, you know, but I think especially a lot of the folks listening to this or watching this, um, we're starting to see the interrelation and mutuality and symbiosis of living organisms. So for instance, trees talking to other trees, grasses and forbs and legumes growing together in a, in a diverse and resilient array of, of, of undulating succession. This, this is starting to make more sense in our very English and very modern vernacular, but there's something that you dove into in that presentation. It was a, a quote. I, I don't know where you sourced the quote in the lecture. You had a source, but it's estimated that uh, actively disengaged employees, as I think is how it was phrased, uh, cost the U.S. between 450 and 550 billion dollars annually in lost productivity. And and I want to substantiate that. And, and you did it so brilliantly in your presentation. But I want to substantiate that in light of the Climate Smart Commodities Grant that the United States Department of Agriculture just released at three billion, right? And the world lost their minds just absolutely lost their minds for $3 billion being awarded to quote unquote climate smart commodities that was then awarded to a decent number of organizations that were larger and very industrially minded. And I'm sure we can have a conversation there if it's warranted, but that was over 3 billion. And what you're saying is from the social sector, looking at human design and human management of organizations and institutions, 450 to $550 billion are lost annually. 
right, every year due to lost productivity. We see ecological degeneration. Talk to me about social degeneration in the workforce. Yeah, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your mind even more. That's a Gallup, um, a Gallup uh, quote and poll where that, that information came from that quote. But they released information recently and did a global one, and they, they estimate it to be 10% of global GDP at $1.8 trillion of lost productivity. What, is, what does that mean? Help, help me understand that term. What is lost productivity? What does that what does that mean? Yeah, so uh, I can I can use this for you because you've got a background in in land management and and really you're a grass farmer, right? So when you term of being able to create conditions for more productivity in the landscape, imagine when we talk about creating healthy ecosystems, it's to be able to produce all kinds of different forage. Uh, as a means to be able to allow it to go through that natural biological life cycle so it enriches the soil and produces more into the future. And so we think about the old, gra- the, gra- the tall grass prairies uh, back when the buffalo roamed. I mean, they were tall because there is an enormous amount of uh, nutrients created in that biological life cycle. So we apply that same concept to social constructs, social systems, to recognize that I don't think people are engaged in a healthy way to bring their full self and their full genius, which means we all know what happens when we're disengaged. There's nothing that comes from that disengagement. And so what does it look like to have a team, a workforce, a community, a nation that has people fully engaged because the design engages them? What would change in that nation state? What would change in that organization? And I actually feel like when I was having conversations like this with Alan Savory and Daniela Howell, it was around the realities that the, the beautiful ideas of regenerative agriculture or the climate smart agriculture, uh, it can't come to life because we don't know how to engage and bring people together in a way that allows them to be engaged so that this real opportunity can be brought to life. And and one other point that I often say is it mind boggles me that with this kind of degradation in a system, why we don't have more entrepreneurs trying to solve it. I mean, right now you would go to a business school and the business school would say, well, look for a billion dollar industry with a big problem and go solve it. This one crosses every industry. It crosses every waking aspect of our life. And people just act like it's a normal part of the system and that it can't be solved or it can't be designed to bring more life to it. And I just think that's absolutely bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you're, you're equating you're equating this idea of lost productivity to like a field of grass that just isn't growing forage for cattle or sheep or pigs or chickens or ducks Correct. or whatever it would be. Yeah. That, that, that is that. So it's 1.8 trillion a year globally. It, it it's, it's, it's always interesting listening to like one of your, your colleagues, Jeff Sue, who I've had conversations with in the past, listening to him. And now in this moment, listening to you, it's, it's always so interesting 
you know, like from the agriculture world, because that's that's how I come at things, as you well understand. From the agriculture world, there's this tension between smaller scale regenerative agriculture, you know, human scale agriculture, truly producing nutrient rich soil that thereby produces nutrient dense foods, and this idea of feeding the world. And and it's an interesting convergence of, of, of ideas that creates this collision because there's this lack of discussion happening around calories, right? Like, yes, on a regenerative farm, you produce less calories, but more nutrients. And now what we have to understand is that do we want humans that are eating cardboard or humans that are eating steaks? And it's a different thing. It, and what I'm getting from you is that, I mean, it's a very similar, I, I mean, it's a very similar idea that you could have people working, right? But you don't have work being done. Is, is that what I understand? Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we can find way to fill it that find ways to fill a day. Now, are those ways we're filling a day engaged with mm. purpose and energy and desire to really bring your whole self? I would say the majority of us have not experienced that kind of work. And what does it look like when people do? I mean, I, I'll just ask you, when when you have that kind of energy, you you know what comes out of that is something that is naturally a part of who you are versus something you're trying to force. And we talk about regeneration through this lens of what does it look like to create such the underlying conditions that the outcomes take care of themselves. Yeah. Right. And we believe that if we nurtured and created those conditions with people, it would change everything. I mean, it would change everything. I want to, I want to keep this going, but I want to ask you a question first. Is a truly regenerative agriculture possible without a human system surrounding it? That is also regenerative or maybe it is at first regenerative. So I mean, I'm gonna, yes, I'm going to answer that question, but, and I, that's a big question. Is it possible while we're here? I think we have to have them work together in concert in symbiosis with one another. If we didn't exist on the planet, I don't think we're needed for it to be regenerative because I think those natural cycles would happen without us. But while we're here, we can't ignore the fact that we need to be thinking about that together. And that's the namesake of our organization in rhythm. What does it look like to be in rhythm with those cycles versus kind of being out of with them? I see. I see. It's the existence of human systems that demands regeneration to be uniformly across the board. Yeah, if me and you weren't here, I think the planet would continue to to um, find its way in and through the systems that are naturally a part of its mm -hmm. design. And I think we've got from Gaia to all kinds of different things that have began to give us insight that, wow, this is this complexity and how it's working together, the connections, the deep relationships, the it is so much bigger than anything we could have imagined. And we just happened to have disrupted it and with a uh, with an intention that brings focus to ourselves versus to the whole. 
And what does it look like for us to shift that? I mean, we've spent 10,000 years looking at ourselves um, and, and longer than that. Uh, but from an industrialized standpoint, we've spent a lot of time trying to bring attention to ourselves. And I think we can bring attention mm. to the whole. So let's just dive right into it then. What, what is this whole, how do we bring attention to it? Well, I, I think part of it is um, just becoming aware of it. I, the, one of the most amazing parts of the work I get to do, and it really is amazing, is to see the ahas in people's eyes and lives when they go, oh, oh, I can't now unsee what I just saw. I can't, I cannot not see that anymore. And we've just had the experience of seeing that over and over and over again, where people recognize that, you know, there, there is a uh, interrelatedness uh, and an interdependence that is truly across all things. And what does it look like for us to design in a way that enhances and and creates symbiosis around that interrelatedness or that holistic aspect or the things that we see, we see these patterns in all kinds of different forms, like it's developmental maturation process. So for us, it's awareness is a substantial step. Uh, And then it is to, which Alan Savory would say with holistic management, it is to embrace an approach that recognizes that management has to be holistic, which is which it's so mind-boggling to me how, because of industry, we're not. And even if we say, let's just, for the sake of argument, food and agriculture is a basis. The fact of the matter is that so many decisions are made outside of food and ag that And we behave as though it doesn't, as though this would solve it, and it won't. So what does it look like for us to shift the conversation in other spheres to allow this one to even have more life? And and that's kind of the the revelation I came to within doing this work with Savory all over the world was, wow, the, the watershed upstream of this kind of work We've got to be working that actively. And how does policy shift and change? And it can't be just a change in ag policy like the food bill, which we all know needs to change. It's like education needs to change, right? Municipalities and how we make decisions locally needs to change. And uh, and so for us, we recognize, wow, all of this is done in the context of a of some kind of um, organized form beyond the one and that it, it it's across everything. So how do we learn how to be a collective in way that isn't extractive uh, by our very design? Thank you for listening to this episode preview of Denusion with Trey Cates. The full unedited and hour long episode and its video are available on the payload network for members. You can become a member of the Palo Network for free at community.robiniainstitute.com. The rest of the episode, Trey and I discuss everything from what does it mean for an organization uh, to be living 
like an ecosystem? How does this change the way we view it, design it, and manage it? We also talk about the idea of just like in agricultural or ecological systems that require death, what does it mean for ideas from an organizational perspective to die? When you become a member, not only do you have access to the uncut and full versions of these conversations, but you also have the ability to build community, discussing these conversations with thoughtful peers and much more. All of this and more on the Palo Network. You can visit community.robiniainstitute.com to learn more. We'll see you there.